This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Idea to Life podcast. This is the podcast for you if you're getting started selling products or if you'd like to create your own product to sell. I'm Vicky Weinberg, a product creation coach and Amazon expert. Every week I share friendly, practical advice as well as inspirational stories from small businesses. Let's get started. Hi, so today I'm talking to Chris Lefteri from Fixits. Fixits is Chris's very own invention and we have a great conversation today about inventing a product and all that entails. The product Chris has invented is really unique and of course there are some challenges with creating a product and selling a product that people don't even know that they need um, because it's something brand new and we talk a lot about that during this episode. It was a fantastic conversation and I would love now to introduce you to Chris. So hi Chris, thank you so much for being here. Hi Becky, no problem, good to talk to you. So can we please start by you giving an introduction to yourself, your business and what you sell? So my business is based on empowering people, householders to repair their stuff and I founded Fixits in 2018 as a product that would be a friendly, fun and convenient way for anybody, anybody in the house to be able to repair their stuff and avoid the whole idea of putting stuff into landfill. That's brilliant. Thank you. And can you just, I know it's really hard because this isn't visual, but can you, and we will obviously link to your website so people can see, but could you just give us a really little introduction as to what Fixits is and how you might use it? Well, Fixits are essentially a series of uh, plastic sticks. You dip them into a cup of hot water straight from the kettle, could be around minimum of 60 degrees. The hotter it is, then the faster the um, they will soften. Uh, once you put the stick in the cup of hot water, it will begin to become quite soft. And within sort of 30 seconds to a minute, it will become floppy. You take it out, it's completely cool, so it doesn't, doesn't it's not even hot. And you um, then can mold it into any shape you want in the same way you can with, you know, modeling clay or plasticine and use it to repair any number of things that would be very difficult to repair with tape and glue. So things that maybe are quite brittle and and the glue doesn't have much of a contacts area or things like tape where you need to wrap it around. You know, Fixits does things that both those two products can't do. So we use it for a very popular one with our customers is repairing broken glasses on the side frame. Uh, for charging cables, for big things like children's toys that sort of snap and you want to glue it back, you know, you want to fix it back together. Um, Any number of things, taking them on holiday with you. So 
I think the best thing about it is that, and, and the unique thing about it is that if that repair doesn't work or you want to try it again because you want to make it better, then you stick it back into the hot water and um, and do, do it again. Well, that's amazing. So it's completely reusable. Yeah, fixes is completely reusable. And I don't have to use it. I don't have to use hot water. I can use um, a hairdryer to heat it up again. And yeah, pretty much, yes, infinite number of times. That's amazing. So how did you come up with the idea, Chris? And what inspired you to even start thinking of a product like this? My background is as a designer and the the other company that I run is a materials design studio. So several years ago when I was writing one of my books on materials for designers, I discovered a sort of material that was used in industry in a very obscure way, in a way that you'd never really see it. And I was really fascinated with it and I, you know, got some, some material from the supplier. I was using it at home. I took some home and we kept some granules, a bag of granules in the kitchen drawer. And my wife thought it was fantastic. We take it on holiday with us, you know, the little bag, bag of granules. And she had this idea to turn it into a, a consumer product and to make that story, which it didn't have, you know, it wasn't a product that was ever used for repair part of what the material could offer and that's really where it started from well that's amazing and what was the material used for just out of interest what, what did people used to use it before before you came up with this use it's used in packaging as a compostable material for packaging it's used as an adhesive it's used in medical applications yeah i mean a whole range of things that are quite obscure nothing that you'd be able to point to and say oh yeah you know I know what it is. I know the material. Yeah, so quite obscure and and not having anything like a story to do with uh, repair. That's really interesting. So it came in granule form. Is that right? Yes. So how did you come up with the idea of creating the fix-it sticks? Well, so I, I really thought that, you know, as magical as it is to watch these granules, you know, soften in a cup, and it is quite magical, I wanted to have something that, was much more accessible and much more handy. And I always had it in my head that when I had this bag of granules, I'd keep it in the kitchen drawer. And I wanted something that would feel like you'd keep it in the kitchen drawer, you'd put it in your you know, bag if you were going on holiday or if you were going camping, you know, very convenient. And I started by looking at the shapes that you could, that were conducive to putting something into hot water and a stick felt very, natural because i mean you know you dunk it you only hold as much of the material of the stick in the hot water as you want to to soften and so we played around with different proportions and different sort of variations on the stick and then settled with something that i wanted people to feel very familiar with you know so it was about i mean it's about the same proportions as a lolly stick or same proportions as a nail file because it's a completely new product. It's not something that exists in any form. It is completely a new way of repairing something. And that's a quite a hard story to tell. So I didn't want to then create a shape that was out there as well. I thought, let's just keep it something quite generic that is familiar, that people can at least have some connection with, you know. So I, I kept it very simple. And then in order to kind of consider the colors and make it you know, feel something that was um, 
you know universal and the, and the, you know the color is a very personal thing and pe- people can be put off by color very easily so obviously black and white because a lot of products are black and white so it kind of you know blends in and then the orange one so we launched with black white and orange and the orange one really I, I think came about because um the first color that we trialed to get the coloring right was orange and it looked really good it was kind of bold it was bright optimistic it kind of talked about utility and functionality and so we kept it and so we had the first ones we launched were black white and orange and then I as I said I I really wanted to have this element of repairing being fun and to you know empower people and the easiest way of doing that is you make the product attractive so from the beginning from the outset it was I, I wanted this idea that people would look at it and think oh that's interesting I like that and I'm going to need it at some point. So it was those two things. I need it and I like it. And the extension, the natural extension of that was to launch some colors that were much more uh, fashion colors. You know, so I went to um, Ryman's, uh, sorry, Ryman's, uh, Paper Chase on Sonical Road. Uh, and and they, you know, it's filled with color in there and colors of pens and paper and, and crayons and all that sort of stuff. And I just remember thinking, be great to see fixes in this type of environment and and to actually you know build that story of fun and accessibility through the colors so that's where we launched i'm trying to remember we have a, a specific name for them i won't use specific names but i'll just say yellow green and pink they have quite nice catchy names but i have a, a memory problem so i can't remember i don't want to get it wrong no problem i know exactly what that's like flamingo pink, flamingo pink is one Sorbet yellow, <laughs> mint green. Am I right? I'm not sure. Something like that. I think I've seen the colours, and I think that's a good description anyway, even if that's not <laughs> the exact names. I mean, that's a great description of what they look like. So, how um, I'm, I'm really curious. Like, actually, there was something you, you um, mentioned I'm going to touch on a bit later, but what I'd love to know is so, were you working with a manufacturer to go through this process of developing the minter sticks and developing colors? How did that come about and how did that work? That's a very good question. It, it wasn't easy. We had to, to find, we had to contact a lot of manufacturers because it's not an easy to to mold and because we were starting up there wasn't a huge uh, you know business for them you know we weren't going to order millions of, of sticks and we were really lucky we found somebody in the UK who's been a fantastic partner so he he used an existing mold tool to trial the material looked at how it, how it worked how it would be produced you know, does the mold separate quickly, you know, easily without sticking to the, to the sticks? And then being quite specific about the texture on it, because the texture on the sticks was, I mean, you know, people don't really think about texture. You pick up a product and you, you just perceive it as being something, either it feels cheap or it feels matte or it feels nice or it feels premium or glossy, but you don't really perceive it. But I, I did want something that unconsciously, would just feel quite nice in your hand. And obviously when you put the stick in the hot water, the, the texture disappears because it then um, you know, becomes just a, a neutral kind of semi, semi-glossy semi surface. Um, so we did a lot of trials with the manufacturer, working out exactly the right thickness of the stick so that it would mold well, efficiently, uh, without any problems, making sure that the 
you know specifics of you know injection molding of whether two parts of a steel tool come apart is in the right place so yeah we had a great partner so chris are you still working with that same manufacturer now yes i am yeah that's yeah, we still work. He's, he's a great partner. He, he's fantastic. That's great, and I think it's like you said, it's so important when you can build up those long-term relationships. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, I couldn't really have done it without him. And, and uh, you take it. I don't. I don't actually take it for granted at all because I've worked with manufacturers before. And you know, when you're trying to develop something new, you have to get somebody who embraces it and who actually appreciates the challenge and wants to do something that is different rather than somebody who thinks it's a kind of a labor and, and a chore and, and actually is kind of doing it reluctantly. So we have a great champion. Well, that's brilliant. And um, I know that something else that's important to you is responsible manufacturing. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to you and what the impact has been on your product and your packaging? I mean, the it's absolutely, absolutely. I think the the product is in itself about helping, encouraging you know consumers to to repair and not throw things away. And on that level, that that is the most important thing about fixits. It it is the idea that you you make it fun, you make it accessible, and you point out that actually it's better to repair something than it is to buy or replace that actually makes you feel good when you do that there is that nice sense of achievement of 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 being clever and solving the problem and, and making that repair that, that is the most important thing about fix it's it's the fact that it's manufactured in the uk is important because you know we don't have to deal with shipping and that aspect of um of co2 the packaging originally was plastic and it was plastic originally because it was just, you know, it was a small startup. It was the most convenient, easiest, low cost way of making the sticks. So we've stopped using plastic now. We use cardboard and the material itself is, uh, conforms to EU regulations for a bioplastic classification, but I don't necessarily want to focus on that. I think it's a complex area to talk about bioplastics in any case. It is, officially a industrially compostable plastic but you know as i said the story for me is much more about the repairability and encouraging people to repair than it is about what the material is because ideally you don't want to get rid of the material you just reuse it again and again and again so you shouldn't have to worry about where it goes yeah that makes sense and as you say the fact that it's a product that's designed to help people reuse things that they might otherwise put in the bin or yeah yeah i think i think that speaks for itself, really. And coming on to that, Chris, so I picked up on something you talked about um, earlier. It was probably about 10 minutes ago now, so apologies if you don't remember. But you, you mentioned that um, there were some challenges in selling a product that's completely new that people haven't heard of. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges of selling such a unique product and maybe some ways in which you've overcome that, please? Yes, it's, I mean, I, I underestimated how difficult it was going to be to uh, sell this product because, you know, I thought it was fantastic. Everyone I'd shown it to, I really thought that people would get it. But as I said, I understood very quickly. I mean, after we launched on Kickstarter, that there is a big hurdle to overcome in the sense of I'm not selling tape and I'm not selling glue. So I have to explain what it is 
you know, I have to give a description. I can't just say it's glue, it's tape. So, so that's the first thing you have to overcome and, and do that in a very quick way because, you know, we don't, we don't have huge attention spans. So you have to, you have to get that across. And at the same time, I encourage, encourage consumers to, to build the value into it. Um, you've got to, you know, point out the advantages um, so that it does save money. It does save the planet. It does make you feel great to fix stuff. And that's very much about building a community and sharing illustration, you know, photographs of, you know, customers and what they've done with the fix-its and just keep repeating that message that it's fun, it saves the planet, it saves you money, you know, and just repeating that. And building on that from the sticks, you know, we're launching, uh, we've launched the tape, uh, we'll launch some variations on the tape and some other repair products very soon as well. That's brilliant. Thank you. And I completely get what a challenge it is because I guess also there's a thing that people don't understand it and they don't understand exactly what the product's for. They might sort of say, well, this doesn't work. And it's because they haven't quite got what the intention behind the product is. Yes. I mean, exactly. And you, and you, you have to be quite explicit because, you know, I mean, as somebody pointed out, you're showing me a stick. How do I get from a stick to this repair? You know, I don't need to do that. I don't need to explain that if I'm if I'm selling tape or glue. Everybody knows how what tape is and how it works, and everybody knows how, how glue works. With the stick, you have to you have to you have to be very clear. Uh, but for me, the, the the magic of this stick is that you put it in hot water, it becomes soft, and then becomes hard, and then you can do the whole thing again and again. And um, I want to make sure that we uh, that shared. And were there any specific? sort of communications or pieces of media that you created that you think really helped with this with explaining what the product is mm, yeah I, I don't think that there's a single I don't think there's a single one because there are so many facets to this story there are so many attributes that I want to get across the the handsness of the stick how it works what you can do with it um, how you can remold it so there are so many facets to the story and the usability that it's it's difficult to pinpoint to one image. To be honest with you, it's I mean, and I think video is absolutely the, the way that we're moving forward because you can tell so much, you can you can communicate so much more with a video. I was just about to say that I've seen your video, and I think that that for me is a really great way of just demonstrating what the product is and how it works in just a couple of seconds, because it is so visual and it's much easier to get that across visually than it is in text. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're trying hard with it. We have a great copywriter. Again, you know, I have people working with fix working working with me on who I really appreciate, and they totally get it. You know, I, we have a copywriter who totally you know understands the voice that fix it has and where our target is and what we're trying to do. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really about storytelling and making sure the story is very clear. And while we're speaking about storytelling, if you don't mind, um, I know that you mentioned that you launched with a Kickstarter campaign. Can we just talk a little bit about that, about what your experience of running that campaign was and perhaps any insights that you had from it? Um, I know that's a very big question. Um, So when when was your your Kickstarter campaign? Was that 2018 or was it a bit later? No, no, 2018. I mean, I think the the thing was that we, I think we did fantastically. I mean, I've, I've never run a, a campaign like this before. No one who was working on that 
with me had run a campaign like this before. We did a lot of preparation. I did have access to certain uh, journalists that I could, you know, write something for about, you know, fixits that that was directly related to the Kickstarter campaign. So that really helped. But I think just getting the the message out there and being pre- very prepared. I mean, it, you know, I th- I thought it was a quick thing to to launch Kickstarter on Kickstarter, but not at all. I mean, you have to be supremely prepared and organized and have a team behind you because it's a global thing. It's it will it will launch. You know, I think it when launched in Asia, maybe Australia, you know, whatever it was, midnight UK time, and it's a 24-hour thing, so you have to keep managing that. And how long typically does a campaign run for? I think typically they run for a month. Ours run, ran for a month. Oh, wow, so that's quite, a long, that's quite a long time. And I guess that's quite intense then if you're constantly trying to draw attention to the campaign. Yes. I mean, yeah, it is quite intense, but not half as intense as it was to actually send out the products because, you know, we, we did very well, um, sold thousands of packs of fixes, but the hard work really was, was getting them out there after the campaign and getting them out there, getting them out there to different parts of the world in a timely way. That was the, that was the really, that was a very challenging part. Oh, that's really interesting. So we had, we had the office filled with you know my my team who work in the design studio <laughs> packing sticks putting them envelopes and putting labels on taking them to the post office oh well, i'm glad to hear it was a success um and you mentioned you were working with some journalists at the time so was that to get word out about the campaign was that the purpose of yes that? yes design journalists yes well, that's fantastic because I've I've spoken to a few people who've ran Kickstarter campaigns, but neither of the, none of them have actually spoken about that angle. So that actually makes a lot of sense. So were you targeting journalists from the kind of publications that you thought people might be, you know, people that read those might be interested in supporting your campaign? Was that the idea? No, it, it was, I was very lucky. I knew journalists because of my design studio, because of the success of the books, because the book books and the popularity of those books over the last 20 years, I was able to contact a couple of people that I knew very well and say, hey, I'm launching this product, a really design-friendly product. It's about the environment. You know, would you, you know, would you like to write something up or for me to write something up? So we did it in that way, not necessarily. It wasn't a huge kind of level of research to find the right magazines or journalists. And they were design magazines, uh, journal, you know, uh, online magazines. Oh, well, clearly, it's, clearly it works. I think it's great. And I think there's, it makes total sense to use any connections that you have. Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And is there any other advice that you have for anyone who might be looking at using Kickstarter to get started? I think it was a really good point you made about actually having to send the products out afterwards, because I think that's something that I'd never thought about. But of course, the better you do, the, the harder the job you might have afterwards. But is there anything else you think people um, might be interested to know? We'll take on board. Well, you're building a you're building a story, and and that story has to be inspiring, has to be informative. And I would test the story on you know friends, family, just see if what it is that you want to say about your product is clear. Because you might think you know your product inside out, and you should. But you know, making sure that other people know that it's a different story. That so makes lots of sense. That story and. Um, and get it tested by your friends and family. That really makes sense. I guess, especially if in the case of your products, it's so unique. Um, I guess if your friends and family couldn't understand what the product was and what it did, then that was a really good indication that perhaps everyone else would be in a similar position. 
yeah and tell people about it and they'll point they'll say oh really so what does that mean or what does that do or why are you doing that and, and they were they're very they were fantastic conversations to have had yeah that definitely sounds valuable and it also sounds like so if you were looking to run a kickstarter there's, it sounds like there's an awful lot of material you need to create before you even think about yes getting something up there yes yes you do that's really good to know well thank you so much for everything you shared um with me today chris i just got one final question if you don't mind which is one i ask everybody who comes on the podcast which is what would be your number one piece of advice for anyone who has a product idea that they'd like to take forward (laughs) i would say without a doubt just do it and if you don't know anything about retailing if you don't know anything about you know product development just do it anyway because you'll learn on the spot and I didn't know anything about retailing. I had no concept of what online marketing was or is or how it functioned. Um, I did know about materials. I did know about storytelling and I knew about design, but that's not, that was not nearly as much information, you know, uh, expertise as I did have. So my advice is just do it because you regret it if you don't. That's brilliant advice. Thank you. And I've also picked up as we've been talking that along the way, you've obviously worked with other people who can help you out in areas where perhaps you, you know, you didn't have as much experience. And I think that's a really good for people to hear as well, that you don't have to necessarily do it all yourself or, or no. learn it all yourself. You can work with other people and like build you. on their strengths. Like yes. Working with you. <laughs> yes, I should probably disclose the fact that I've been working <laughs> with you on your, on your, on your Amazon account. And you are one of those people. So thank you. Oh, thank you. And thank you again for everything you shared today, Chris. No worries, Vicky. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.